Welcome listeners to the seventh episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhards. With me today is co-host and powerful wizard Christopher Wikström. Our beloved friend Robin Svensson is on vacation in a place with no internet. So over the summer, a couple of episodes will be just the two of us, perhaps sometimes with guest wizards. We shall see. However, most important, welcome dear listeners. Hello everybody, I hope you're doing fine. Not melting away in this uh, panically record-breaking heat we're having. June 2021 was the warmest June month of oh, ever in Sweden. Uh, second place, uh, June of 2020. Third place, June of 2019. Uh, perhaps we could see some patterns here and try to do something about that. However, not today on this podcast. Uh, Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Tech Tab. In today's episode, we shall measure the power of Doomsday convene a smaller basic land connoisseur panel to talk about planes discuss how early online releases of sets impact paper play and finally delve into the topic of why we play the decks we play christopher this week you and i have been playing quite a bit with you sleeving up a sweet doomsday list let's break down how that played out shall we yeah so i believe that we played around uh, 10 games or something in total i played the doomsday and you played the uh, red black reanimator and the uh, rector fit and i thought these were some some very fun games and doomsday in general is is a very fun deck to play it it's gotten a bit less uh, <laughs> galaxy brain complicated recently but i think that makes that's only for the benefit of the deck uh, when it comes to Dark Ritual Storm combo decks, or combo decks in general, uh, I'm most comfortable with playing Ad Nauseam Tendrils, um, but I'm not unfamiliar with playing Doomsday. Uh, the deck <laughs> recently feels weird to say, but quite recently got the addition of uh, Fasus Oracle, uh, which I've been trying out from time to time. Most recently was during the Lurus metagame and the Companion uh, Menace. And I thought that it was pretty nice that you could just dark ritual lure us out from the from the sideboard. <laughs> it was not really uh, a design that uh, was perhaps well thought out, but I really I really enjoyed that meta game, even though it was quite degenerate. I decided to try out a list that I saw that uh, Kai Savatari play. You can find uh, Kai on Twitter at uh, Savatarix. Uh, and this deck uh, featured Personal Tutor and Daisis, which I have not uh, played before this in uh, Doomsday. It's very powerful, and I would probably rate Doomsday as the best combo deck in the meta right now in the format. And uh, just to spice it up a little bit and try some new cards out, I put some Merktide Regents in the sideboard as a plan B, rather than the Sheldock Isle Emrakul that you see once in a while. And it worked out pretty good. They can grow a bit, uh, especially if you resolve Doomsday, if you have one in play, can one-shot the opponent quite easily. But it's overall just a super solid creature, and a lot of opponents board out, board out their removal. So just sticking one in is super annoying. Um, so yeah, this deck is super efficient. It has a ton of counterspells available, and... Uh, yeah, just having a pseudo one-card combo just beats so many of the other decks. Uh, Victor, you played against this deck uh, quite a bit. What what were your vibes? 
well the vibes were i am i am playing this deck and i am playing to lose uh no i mean black red reanimator uh, i tried the uh, a list um with uh, four copies of grief uh, and uh, just went down to two copies of unmask and that felt really good uh, i mean recently before modern horizons 2 i played the uh, tenderness of agony version of black red reanimator which was really powerful uh, and sort of when you played that deck at the time it felt like why hasn't this deck always been played just like this uh, why did we even bother attacking with Grizzlebrand? Uh, but now grief uh, i wasn't high when it was spoiled but i am higher uh, high enough to actually purchase a playset uh, and put it in the deck it feels like the right thing to do and then i guess sort of the long-term testing is going to be how many copies of unmask and thoughtsies are you also going to play uh, etc but having said that playing black red reanimator with grief against this doomsday list uh, i think uh, i lost every game you won one game i i messed up my pile game too <laughs> <laughs> this is this is true i i yeah i, I won because you were like oh I, ah ah all right i right. put them in the wrong order <laughs> and th- that's uh, i take great pride in that sort of having that uh, you know the poker face uh, of me over discord well actually i'm not showing my face my camera I l- sort of looks only at my board but um no i mean I, I had this one you know on the play this sort of basically not god hand but not hand of grief uh, another, and thought sees and sort of reanimation uh, to follow up that and a grizzly brand in the hand uh, and I sort of basically shredded most of your hand uh, turn one uh, yeah. and presented a threat clock and f- three or four turns later I've lost that game yeah uh, because you had you had you had one brainstorm in your hand and that was enough yeah, I think you, uh, you you first evoked grief, and then you took I think my my brainstorm, and I had a ponder doomsday brainstorm, and I I think a dark ritual or something, and then you reanimated it and took my my doomsday, leaving me with like uh, yeah not the most exciting hand, uh, but I pondered into a brainstorm. The turn after that, I got to do a really nice you know just clean your hand up brainstorm fetch. And then I presented lethal the turn after. So it was just the deck. The deck needs so little to win. Unlike uh, I don't know a TES. If that happens to TES, it might be a lot harder to recoup. Yeah, yeah. No, the recuperation uh, was amazing to 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 behold. And also, you felt like there is nothing I can do. Uh, me being a very fast combo deck, I am losing all clocks because you won. I think also in like three or four different ways. Uh, in a way, like y- your wins weren't similar. Uh, you f- felt like you sort of won through different angles. Uh, even though I mean, the deck essentially obviously wins with Tassus Oracle, but the way you got there, I think, varied. Um, and then playing the the, the Nick fit, uh, I went down to a sixty card Nick fit. Uh, I'm not gonna go run through the list, but essentially cutting Yorion and cutting stuff that Yorion would bounce and cutting some air. I think I landed on a pretty sweet list actually. That I'm I'm, I'm feeling it's getting close to where I'm gonna want to be at sixty cards for this deck, and I'm pretty happy about that deck. It's it's it feels like it can actually do something. Perhaps Nick fit hasn't been as powerful as now ever. <laughs> then again, <laughs> that doesn't say a lot in in sort of in the face of 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 um, the opposition, which was doomsday for this day. Uh, but I did manage to squeak, I think, two games. Yeah, I think I think we ended three two. 
And one, one of those games sort of I won just by playing Sinkhole. Uh, so I played Assassin's Trophy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that was on, on, on your underground sea. Cabal Therapy, you saw that you had no follow-up land, basically. And then I could quickly resolve a Karn to to lock you away from eventually playing and using Lionside Diamond. Yeah, I... I... Like the uh, that game was so funny because yeah he assassin trophied my only land and for people who hasn't seen what some of these uh, doomsday pa- uh, decks look like now they play I I played four underground sea one volk so yeah that's a that's a vindicate on the land and it was just so funny because I was still in my hand I had the lotus petal dark ritual doomsday and I was like yeah I'm just gonna make him have it and he played Karn and. I paused for a second and realized that I had a lot of cyclers in my deck and the last two cards were pretty much uh, Lion's Eye Diamond into Fasa, uh, which I was going to get really, you know, get really frisky with. Uh, but then I realized that, oh, I can't, I can't Lion's Eye Diamond. I'm just going to draw five cards until I'm dead. So that was really sweet. And the other game I won, I think I won uh, by putting Overwhelming Splendor into play. Uh, with uh, an academy rector of a caverns yeah and i think the the thing that made that game really hard because um i i made some small variations from from kai's list that i saw um i'm playing a single copy of echoing truth in the in the sideboard that i brought in just just so i can put it in my doomsday pile these were uh, victor's turns uh, four turns in a row and they just yeah if you've if you've played doomsday you might see how this uh, how this is not gonna line up with you as a doomsday player so he had cavern on human and that's pretty pretty scary plays academy uh, academy rector and gets the the overwhelming splendor which just shuts off abilities makes creatures into just one ones without abilities so no fastest oracle win then he got a second turn after he jammed a second one and got the curse of death's hold so like your opponent can't play creatures uh, they're just gonna go straight to the bin and i was thinking okay but if i can just resolve a doomsday i can definitely get out of this and then turn three and four was just Here's one opposition agent, and I'm like, oh shit. And here's the second, the turn after. I'm like, oh god, uh, this, I, I can't, I can't solve this. Like, even if I find my echoing tooth naturally, he has cavern on human. I'm gonna bounce his thing, and then he's just gonna uncomfortable play it in again in instant speed. So I, that was when I had seen enough. It probably the first one was enough, but the second copy just, uh, yeah demoralized me but it was so fun i was sitting there like yeah trying to galaxy brain then you just slammed one fret <laughs> does this kill you i'm like yeah not yet how about this yeah probably second copy okay 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 i'm ready to scoop it up <laughs> yeah those were great games but then the other three games you just like i think you had two turn one kills uh no one one turn one kill and one turn two kill it was just like okay yeah and then one really grindy <laughs> I, I i've sort of i I've, I've i've kept my seven and now i've lost this game it's like sure sure yeah yeah that was that was super sweet i had a i had one cycler and then three dark rituals a doomsday and i was just yeah i can make a lot of lands drawing to night's whisper and just 
cycle another crack lead and play fast as Oracle turn one. Yeah, that, that seems seems like we wrap it up. But yeah, it was it was definitely fun, and I think the the thing that shocked me playing these games was I really anticipated Black Red Reanimator to be a really scary matchup. I mean, it it, it comes from a place where I'm. Uh, I'm used to playing Adnasium Tendrils if I'm playing a Dark Ritual combo deck, and that deck just folds to a Grizzlebrand. And uh, yeah, I just I just realized after we played the games, it, had I not messed up that pile, it would have been a, f- a 5-0 sweep. The deck plays too many counter spells and needs too few cards to just go off. And I'm not sure if you play Iona anymore, but if you don't it's quite quite tricky to just say arrivederci to the doomsday deck i mean i'm considering doing it now <laughs> so yeah that was those was really good games i also got some other magic in uh, i played a bit a little bit against uh, robin uh, when he uh, tested out uh, last week's discussions of ursa saga putting um, you know shadow spear and all kinds of weird things into um, into lands and I must say, when uh, when it worked, it really worked. Um, then again, I think I played... I was still in the 80-card Nick Fit then. And I've s- sort of felt before playing that deck against Ursa Saga lands. Is that if you don't have an explosive start, you're going to just get dead by the, the constructs. Because uh, you have no way of stopping them efficiently. Like, you can sort of... You can Assassin's Trophy them, but... I mean, that's not really... That's not a winning position. No. <laughs> that sort of slows them down for a turn, but you really develop nothing and you just sort of get smoked. And I think Shadow Spear sort of, you know, it could be a thing. Yeah, it was It was quite... I, I was... Uh, I I mean, I'm on uh, summer vacation now, so I just uh, creeped in and lurked in the background, uh, you know, saying some snarky comments every now and then when they were playing. But yeah, I think... I also think that you drew a lot of lands. Playing a Nickfit deck that already fixes your mana quite good, it's very uh, heartbreaking when you have six or seven lands to just peel another one from the top. But the the spear seemed really nice. Uh, I definitely underrated it, and uh, it's uh, it's quite cool. Yeah, I, I also uh, played... Uh, we have the uh, Wednesday Discord tournament, and I'm also... I also decided to sleeve up another deck um, besides Doomsday that I played with uh, with Victor. And I played the blue-white uh, Landsteel deck with Timeless Dragon. Um, I'd seen some people talking about this uh, configuration online, and it seems uh, like a very, you know, just reasonable card to have in this style of deck. So I'm not going to deep dive into the deck uh, because uh, the version that I played it's uh, yeah just close your eyes and think about blue blue white cards that go good into the standstill deck but yeah it it had timeless dragons and Ursa sagas as the new tools and they present a real headache to the opponent under a standstill and uh, I'm going to shout out our co-host who's probably kicking it back right now and uh, 100 degrees just kidding i don't know fahrenheit but i'm going to sh- shout him out he's been playing a bit of standstill recently and talked about it here on the cast and we actually played the first game of the evening and before starting game one i made a s- small comment that i'm now gonna share with you all robin 
this is a Robin deck. And indeed it was. Enjoy the sun, you land go philanthropist. It's high time we stopped talking about me getting smoked by you, Christopher. Let us instead convene the basic land connoisseur panel. This week we are talking about the Plains of Death and Taxes, a deck very close to my heart. Uh, but since I've played this deck probably more than I've played any other deck in Magic ever, uh, all formats considered, so I'm going to let you go first, Christopher. Which Plains have you chosen for Death and Taxes? Yeah, and it's also appropriate that I go first because I've very very few reps with this deck uh, i'm not known to be a white uh, white uh, loving player when it comes to legacy but i wanted to to pick some cards that uh, when i when i see different taxes and when i think about the history of the deck and uh, maybe add some own lore into the mix uh, i'm thinking about these small uh, people or whatever who get called in to, to a greater war and you know them returning home after a battle to uh, their hometown, their farm or something like that is what inspired my picks and the picks that I took was first of all from uh, Marsadian Masks it's, uh, some, it's, it's a path leaning to three small cottages and I f- figure you know the the long walk home after a, a very nasty long battle and you finally see your home in the horizon uh, the second one is from onslaught and it's also just a small tent or cottage uh, you can see uh, it's oh it's, it's actually two and you see some smoke coming out from the uh, from the top of the tent and i'm i'm just imagining you know the same the same story the same narrative you're coming home and people might not know that you are just seconds away from entering. They're just living their lives, cooking the meal. And this is what you, you fought maybe to defend or uh, maybe you didn't have a choice, but you're back where you should be again. Then I picked a, a, a pretty different one, which is uh, from the Eurolands and it's uh, uh, the Netherlands. It's the windmill on a big plains and this is kind of like the same feel it's uh, what are you fighting for and what uh, what is the image that you are uh, holding dear, near and dear when you're uh, not home and anymore and the final picture is from uh, portal second age and this one is uh, it's a bit shout outy to my uh, fellow upland uh, uh, peeps out there this is a picture of what looks like a farm i got some extremely strong uh, upland uh, vibes from this it's a part of sweden where i where i grew up um, and there are a lot of just giant fields over there and it's uh, it's a place that i really i'm nostalgic about so this is my version of the 
of the soldier coming home, uh, coming home to to Uppsala or Uppland after a long journey in you know other places of the world. So those were my picks. So the, the Portal Second Age planes also aptly uh, painted by Fred Fields. Oh right, yeah, I didn't see that. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, no, I really liked. I like uh, out of these picks. Uh, that's my favorite one. Uh, both for the story that you brought with it, but also because it has, I think, uh, superior composition. I mean, it, it is a really simple idea. You have yellow fields, green hills in the horizon, and a light blue, slightly cloudy sky. I mean, nothing innovative about that motive, but I think it's just wonderfully executed. And I think it's interesting because all these cards... I mean, the Mercadian Masks, uh, that's card number 331 from there, and uh, the Onslaught is uh, 334. Like, all of these harken from a sort of pretty similar time period of, of magic, and you can see that there is really similar art direction here. Uh, and and, in, and I, I mean, since the art direction has said, give us planes with huts or homes or farms in them, and that has sort of traversed over these sets, uh, I like to think that your your lore innovation isn't only accidental. Like, I mean, this seems to be actually sort of thought through, and I, I like that. Yeah, I think they really nailed a feeling to it. So yeah, uh, what about what about you, Victor? You're the when I when I got to know you, you played uh, a lot of this deck, and yeah, I think I think for sure this is the the Victor deck that I associate you with. So. Tell us about your picks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, when I met you first, uh, I played this deck uh, fully foiled uh, because this is uh, one of the very few uh, legacy decks that you can fully foil because uh, all cards uh, are non-reserve list. Uh, so I went in, uh, sort of, I went above and beyond to foil it as hard as I could. <laughs> so the planes I played were the uh, the Judge promo planes uh, painted by Therese Nielsen, uh, which are, I mean, many many dollars a piece, uh, many euros a piece. Uh, I had few of them because I was a judge at the time when they were released. I got a couple of packs that way. But then, with lands, you want to match your lands. So of course, I had to get full art foiled wastelands. I had to get you know full art foiled horizon canopies, etc., etc. And uh, the rest of the deck was also pretty, pretty premiumly foiled. Uh, and I would say, if you are one of these persons who are into foiling your death and taxes deck, uh, I think these planes they looked they worked really well. Uh, having said that, of course, there is a downside that you can't full art foil all of your lands uh, that you might want to put in death and taxes. Um, so uh, if that's a problem for you. Uh, I would then, of course, suggest you pick any foil basic land that matches your identity. As I said before, vintage kind of legacy decks that have been around for some time, all of them deserve to be played with uh, alpha or beta uh, lands. And I think that the alpha beta uh, planes uh, by Jesper Muirfors, there are I mean, three versions of these planes, but they all look very similar, I would say. And I would say pick any one. Uh, because they look really nice but then you have to make sure to also play old border wastelands old border reshallan ports old border or as old border as can get uh, ruins of trocar etc because otherwise it's going to look weird me personally i am a new border player 
uh, I prefer new border card design, new bo- new border art, uh, almost always. And I'm also sort of big on the lore part. And when 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 Death and Taxes became what it is today, is of course with the release of Dark Ascension when Talia was printed for the first time. Uh, and that's why today I have I have an unfoiled Death and Taxes deck, and I play it with the uh, Innistrad lands. So I played with Innistrad planes, uh, uh, any of them really. Uh, the one I've chosen now is um, it's Innistrad plane painted by Adam Paquette that we've had uh, quite a few times, and I think it's Card Image Two Fifty. Um, it's sort of a stormy, rainy. So there is a river flowing through these plains. The sky is kind of black and grey. Uh, very green trees sort of in the forefront but they're dark green uh, and sort of this is not a happy place plains something something is afoot here and of course we know in Innistrad and Dark Ascension it's all about vampires and werewolves and the lovely plane of Innistrad the set design is is I mean the art direction for this set was just magnificent also of course changed changed legacy forever the printing of Delver of Secrets the printing of um, Snapcaster Mage, the eventual printing of Gristlebrand in Avacyn Restored, uh, the printing of Faithless Looting, you can, you can go on and on. Uh, very important set for, for Legacy as a whole. Uh, and that's also why I like to use them, because this is a time when Legacy, uh, as it is today, changed. Uh, finally, if you want to play Snow Carved Planes, uh, if you listened last week, you know that I am a strong proponent of the Kalheim snow-covered planes. Uh, I think you should go for 277, which has uh, snow-covered uh, green hills and fields, a couple of uh, elks or moose or something uh, running around, and a very nice horizon with uh, more steep mountains and uh, lovely purpley-blue effects on the sky. Um, so these are my choices. Yeah, I I really like them. Um it was kind of funny because the the Innistrad one, uh, for me, the uh, the deck really, uh, the Death and Taxes deck, really got new air uh, during Innistrad, much thanks to Falia. And I just, that specific Innistrad uh, planes that you picked out is really a calm before the storm. And I think that really fits into a sort of average game with death and taxes because a lot of the times death and taxes feels like the underdog Um, and it's especially hard for the deck sometimes to just look threatening when i when i mostly sit down in front of a a death and taxes player i'm i'm very rarely scared unless i play (laughs) the nausea tendrils but if you've paid attention, I, I play a lot of bug decks, and uh, it's it's not that scary. But this deck can slowly but surely take over so many games. They can disrupt early, and they can snowball late game. And I think this this deck and uh, this planes really goes well together. Uh, it it feels like the Edevial resolved on turn one, and then you put down the port. And here we are at the picture. It's a very... I, I really enjoy it. It's very moody.
part, Christopher. Last week, you mentioned that you have a brew that you are working on. Uh, however, that will have to wait. In this week's more speculative section of the podcast, we are going to put the meta on the table. And no worries, listeners, this will not be a deck dump analysis. Other podcasters are way better at crunching those numbers than we are. This is a paper legacy podcast, and we'll discuss in what ways the contemporary fast-moving online meta impacts paper play and paper metagame. Christopher, why should we care about these things? So I tend to think uh, that the legacy meta is something that evolves in circles. And, you know, a lot of people, uh, especially on podcasts, talked about, talks about this quite a bit, you know, the rock, paper, scissors, but also the um, week one, week two, week 50 uh, style and shapes of forms uh, of the meta and a shakeup happens you know either by printings or bannings and decks try to find a good footing in the new environment which which usually is quite beneficial for very efficient and streamlined decks you know the mono red decks the uh, the stompy decks or very fast combo but eventually in legacy lately and uh, yeah for 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 a couple of years now uh, the Delver decks will have had enough time to tune themselves uh, well enough to dominate most of the metagame, while the mid-range and control decks of the format will find uh, what works to keep the Delver decks in check. Uh, in paper metas, people usually play with the cards that they own and with the decks that they enjoy to play and love to play. Uh, I, I, I usually see it as less... Uh, result-oriented than a lot of online playing. Uh, however, uh, a lot of people, you know, they have an, an identity, a, a relationship with the deck that they play, you know, the Storm Pilot or the Nick Fit uh, person in the meta. There's a charm of having different meta games in different parts of cities or countries or even the world. People talk about how the Japanese meta is different and, you know, uh, in America, I hear a lot about people talking about how, what what cities uh, have what kind of meta identity, and I just think that's such a, a beautiful thing. You know, the, these different meta games, from my experience, is a result of you know organic symbiosis of the players in the area, and is probably one of the most exciting things to experience when you're out traveling to other areas. Uh, do you have any? experience of this victor you know when you go into a different city and people the mentality and feel and card choices everything is a bit different oh of course of course i mean i remember there was a time when i started playing legacy you couldn't go uh you couldn't go north to uh to upland <laughs> uh without sleeving up an additional five uh five storm hate cards uh in your sideboard <laughs> because you would need those because uh, it was the land of sort of foil Japanese storm decks uh, <laughs> coming at you from every <laughs> left, right and center. But also, I, I actually, I've, I've, I remember experiencing this uh, when I was uh, primarily a standard player, uh, which was incidentally around the time of Innistrad's release. Uh, I actually almost made the Swedish national team in a standard, you know, world world's event. Uh, I lost the finals in the qualifier. And I, I went to Gothenburg for that tournament and I played against six different Delver players. 
who played six different iterations of the Delver deck. And this was, of course, post-Avacyn uh, Restored. And the one player who figured that putting four Restoration Angels into the deck was the correct thing to do. They won the event. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but sort of playing in Stockholm at the same time, which I usually did, I mean, there were Delver experts, and all of them would play that particular sort of Restoration Angel build of Delver post-Avacyn Restored. But it was not by far the most popular deck, even though arguably it's probably the best one. Uh, so that, that this goes in, in every format, and I, I imagine if one were to ask a commander player, uh, this would be <laughs> even more warped. You could have sort of probably like in this this playgroup meta or that playgroup meta, but um, we're not gonna sort of we're not gonna walk further down that particular rabbit hole. Again, why are we talking about this now? Yeah, um, so like we're at the at the end of of lockdown, at least for a lot of countries. Uh, you know, fingers crossed. Um, Delta, get out of here. But, you know, having online results and uh, those results affecting different paper meta, metas out there is not really something new. I mean, people have always gone to different websites to see what decks are performing or uh, what's, what's new. So when it comes to coming out of lockdown paired with a lot of recent powerful printings that might have some negative effects on paper communities. And I'm, I'm not only thinking about potential card availability problems that my, some people might experience, but rather a risk of you know alienation. Uh, people come back to an environment that might not feel uh, at all where they left off. Uh, their deck might feel um, unplayable or be deemed as unplayable by other people. One of my favorite moments when playing in physical tournaments, especially at the local game store weekly that we have in Stockholm, um, was before the tournament or in between rounds where, you know, people got really into innovative with new or old cards and, uh, you know, talking a lot about potential and just, you know, yank, uh, having that space to go to and discover new ideas and talk about uh, spoilers in a in a you know very excited way, uh, that's such a nice thing for me. I really enjoy that, and I guess my concern is that the online meta right now is moving extremely fast, and metas are being quote unquote solved within a very short amount of time. And this is also not just you know during COVID. It's uh, we've seen that effect, you know, the metas being quote unquote solved faster and faster these days but it can have a, a really negative effect on these charming and very lovely meta games out there that uh, is very tied to a location and uh, you know to the players in question that might not have updated a lot during corona what, what do you think victor you have a lot of points here christopher uh, i mean of course uh, as you said pre-covid even uh, the online metas started moving a lot faster. I think, I mean, for standard, of course, that with the introduction of Arena, which is just a superb online magic playing client compared to Magic the Gathering Online. I mean, I, I for a while, I was sort of still left a little bit in standard play uh, when Arena was released. I had like one foot. Uh, and it became virtually impossible to play uh, paper standard because you you would play paper standard sort of once a week probably and and the meta game would just move so quickly beyond your ability to actually physically acquire the cards even if you could afford them 
uh, you just have to <laughs> find them <laughs> in order to keep up with uh, with the meta game. Uh, the legacy medical line meta, I don't think, is moving probably that fast because you have some availability issues that is there as well. Plus, the card pool is so much bigger, and the established archetypes are so much more. I mean, um, I mean, they're heavy still, even though they get they're they are iterated upon, perhaps rather than just being completely transformed. But having said that, uh, I worry too that uh, that this. Um, this might be in effect. So you come with your, again, as you said, your unupdated deck list, which I think is a very nice way of phrasing it. And you're getting someone 5-0 slap you in the face. I think one sort of vaccine against this could be that Wizards of the Coasts really don't care at all about legacy players, meaning that there isn't going to be any support for legacy play in the future. Meaning that, again, if you want... I mean, all the paper play that's going to happen is going to be community-organized. I mean, we saw this holiday before COVID, that the community organizing of, of legacy paper play is will be the way forward. And, and if that becomes the case, we can choose what kinds of, of organized play we want to have. I mean, I, for one, I do not really care about winning $100 in a local event or sort of let's play for this i mean sure you can you can play for a duel whichever one you want to put in the prize pool that's not why i'm there like i have the duels i i I want (laughs) if if i was to acquire another duel i would just sell it and put the money somewhere else i'm there to play for the for the glory and the honor that might sort of fall upon me if i if i uh, lay down the the weapons of my enemies uh, on the battlefield having said that i think that what we could foster is is an environment where people actually show up to play legacy because they want to play legacy and then that format becomes automatically a little less spiky yeah i think i you really touched upon some things that i agree with there and uh, for me you know uh, the weekly uh, legacy tournaments that we had in in stockholm uh, usually require that you bought uh, some store credit or you know a, a tournament token and then at the end of the tournament, you got some of that back. Uh, at bigger tournaments, uh, there were some card prices. Me personally, I would pay probably more than double just to play there on Wednesdays with zero return, even if I have a perfect score. Because I'm ultimately there to, to play Legacy and meet my friends. And, uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, price support, that can be nice. But a lot of times it, it's just from the community uh, you know by the community for the community and uh, you know if you want to have prices or not that's something that your community will uh, you know fix if if it's uh, necessary but i i for sure think uh, if if you also if the community is responsible for the play actually happening you know certain restrictions uh, you know card card restrictions like oh uh, i see that you're playing card x y and z uh, did you know that these cards came from modern horizons 2 and you can just proxy them up and just continue having a fun time and uh, i think uh, i'm a lot i'm i'm very loose when it comes to that uh, uh, proxying and so i'm a lot more important about the camaraderie and the play trying to be supportive in the meta is going to be extremely important uh, when yeah, post post lockdown, post COVID. So I'm I just wanted to you know flag that you know give it a bit of thought when you're playing paper again. And also while doing that, also giving a bit of thought that to your entry fees, 
in my opinion really should first cover uh, payment for judges if you have them at the event because they spend their entire day from start to finish doing uh, helping you having your fun uh, and also you should pay the tournament organizers because they rent a space provide you with sort of equipment to sit and play on uh, take care of all the sort of legal stuff for you also really enabling you to to have fun i mean essentially i think you should sort of recognize that you should be paying these two entities first <laughs> if you are playing in a venue i mean sure you can have kitchen table legacy and we do that and that's great but if you play in a tournament i mean judges and tournament organizers aren't made of money they also need to eat uh, and they are there from start to finish they put a lot of work into you having fun uh, and you should recognize that by putting your money where your mouth is uh, and I think uh, legacy players and other magic players alike should actually, I think, learn learn to think more about that. Gratitude is great, but you know, uh, if your uh, work, if your um, employer would ask you to come in on a Saturday because they would be really grateful that you do it, I mean, I would just uh, <laughs> start looking at new jobs, probably. Come here for free on Saturday and people can complain at you. Yeah. Christopher, I would say what we just discussed ties into a fundamental question of why we play what we play as legacy paper players. Uh, paper play, uh, as we said, is somewhat more restrictive. Uh, it's more expensive. It's also more dependent on time and space. At the same time, uh, it is tactile and social uh, in, in so many ways. Uh, legacy paper play usually also comes with a drink or restaurant uh, after games or playing and cooking at home at the same time. Uh, as an exclusive paper player, Christopher, what are your thoughts on this? So I personally enjoy the community and the format equally. Um, there are moments where I've been very close on getting into Magic Online to grind extra games, uh, as playing uh, Legacy really entertains me in a way that few other things can. Uh, it's my favorite game, probably. The reason why, why I personally play paper to the extent that I do now, uh, you know, mostly in paper, is it comes down to, you know, uh, putting a very concentrated amount of time into my hobby that I really enjoy. And, you know, playing interactive games against opponents uh, that value their time equally to you uh, results most, most often in a very relaxed environment with a mentality hedging towards community and, you know, this fantastic format of innovation and really exciting play uh, it doesn't mean that people can't be competitive i mean i can i can get really competitive uh, before tournaments i was super competitive at gp bologna and you know it's it's nothing wrong with that but at the end of the day uh, you roll up the play mat you pack your stuff together and proceed to whatever ritual you have in your community whether it's going to the pub or restaurant, you know, just talking, hanging out, commuting home, you know, talking about life, legacy or whatever, you know, different places have different rituals. And 
being a part of those, you know, dictating or trying to steer it uh, into different directions that people love and enjoy and come back for is definitely why why I play uh, paper and especially paper legacy because putting that like I said very concentrated amount of time and hanging out with people who I share this with is just extremely valuable especially you know uh, when you grow up and get older time is a much harder limiting factor and having this as something to treat yourself with is extremely luxurious it's it's the best so what about what about you victor uh, what makes you play the things you play you know paper all of that no i mean uh, i'm with you in this boat i love playing this game this game is a fantastic game uh, i love winning at this game uh, but i'm not playing this game to win this game like if i was a that competitive of a person i would probably play poker or chess or uh, any other game that you don't have to sort of pay to play the game <laughs> but but the game itself was sort of uh you, you pay entry fees and you get rewards but you need to only own one chessboard you can get that at a thrift store for five bucks not a problem a deck of cards not going to cost you a lot either of course i have i have the old uh, magic to gathering backside uh, card deck that i picked up as uh, as a promo somewhere in my very young young years of sort of i think swedish nationals of 96 or something but having said that uh, this also really affects my deck choices uh, like for example example people who know me will will uh, sort of notice that i what it seems to be out of principle, sort of very rarely play a blue deck because simply because that's not my play style in Legacy. Well, 75% of the best decks are always going to be blue. Uh, I choose not to because uh, I, I want to do what I like to do in Legacy, which is currently trying to make uh, Nick Fit work as much as possible. I play Reanimator not because it was sort of the best deck of 2019 or something. It, I play it because you can put Grizzlebrand into play, which is the closest thing you have to Satan in, in <laughs> Magic the Gathering. And that's my, that's my ambition for choosing this deck, this way to enjoy this game that I love. And that is, I mean, I like winning with Black Red Reanimator and coming down to the LGS pre-COVID, I did win quite a bit because people play decks that weren't necessarily sort of taking care of <laughs> oh there might be crystal brands here uh, then again if we had a weekly weekend tournament larger sort of prize pool larger people large number of people showing up everyone would have sideboards for me uh, and i would sort of go two four or something if i brought black red reanimator um uh, but that really so that uh, i'm not unhappy about that because i'm going to remember the two games that i won uh, and they were great uh, and I'm going to remember the nice discussion we had afterwards uh, having a drink. So, yeah. Yeah, the closest thing you can get to, you know, uh, Satan in Legacy, if you can put it that, it's not putting Grizzlebrand into play. It's being the player who pl puts Grizzlebrand into play. Oh, you <laughs> Just, flatter me now. I have, I have uh, yeah, I have a traumatized past of uh, Black Red Reanimator. I remember this uh, one tournament in particular where... I beat the uh, one of the most established players in the quarterfinals of a league final, and uh, that person I think won the Swiss, and I just squeezed in eighth or something, and I beat him, and it was all good. He was on top miracles, and I was an imperial recruiter, I learned. 
and everything was fine. And then in the semis, I lost turn two, two games in a row against Black Red. <laughs> and I just, oh god, <laughs> that deck didn't play forces. I had free free cards in the sideboard to deal with these things. It was terrible. So I'm traumatized. Good thing this was paper magic because you could really get a drink after that one. Yeah, yeah, it was it was real nice. And that's all we have for this week, folks. We hope you have enjoyed our time with us. If you did, please share a link to this podcast with a friend of yours. If someone wants to reach out to us, where can we be found, Christopher? You can find me on Twitter at uh, monolithmtg. And you can find me on Twitter at DiscoDrogo. And that concludes the seventh episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you very much, Christopher Wikström. My name is Victor Burns. Our music is written by Frönes. You could check them out on Spotify. Until next time, keep hammering those swords to plowshares. <laughs>